Today, I'm going to start out maybe a little different than you're used to having a sermon start out. <laughs> because I wanted to just kind of reflect. It's the last Sunday of the year, right? <clears throat> what a year we've had, 2020. <laughs> so uh, I don't think anyone will ever forget the year 2020. I mean, it's affected even the little kids. And so I wanted to just kind of list some of the things. We've had such massive changes. So I'm going to list some of the things. Now, it might not sound very uplifting, but just wait. (laughs) So to list a few, wearing the mask. (laughs) As I look across the congregation, All I see is masks. (laughs) Having to social distance. Children not able to go to school. Then only part-time or online. Parties and proms being canceled or put off. Restaurants are closed. Or you can get takeout only. Then just limited seating. Businesses closed or online ordering. People told to stay home. Don't go to church. (laughs) Don't visit your family. Only go out for essential things, which they tell you is essential, like groceries or doctors. Virtual appointments with doctors. Mass unemployment, or working online, an increase in deaths, no respect for authority, rioting, killing of police, defunding of police, cheating in major elections, and we're told to accept the new normal. (laughs) Most all of this is because of a virus that you can't even see. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Is there any hope? Well, if that's what you focus on, then there is no hope. And unfortunately, in the world, there's a lot of people that have no hope. They're out there. You talk to people, and what do you hear? A lot of negative stuff. Well, you remember Peter? He looked at the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. And just a moment before that, the the water was actually holding him up. But when he looked at the winds and the waves, he began to sink. That water was holding him up just by one word from Jesus. Come. That word, come. In other words, get your eyes off of everything else, look to me, and come. And so Peter's hope was restored, and he looked to Jesus, and just Jesus just reached out and grabbed him, right? Right there. 
Peter didn't have to struggle, did he? Because Jesus just reached out and grabbed hold of him. Well, we want to see what Jesus is still saying to us. So we're going to look at Matthew 11, 28 to 30. <clears throat> I think I'll just read it. <laughs> Jesus still says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when Jesus was talking to us and teaching the disciples, he was saying, I'm there for you. I'm going to help you. You know, we think of a yoke as one of those yokes that two cows are in and, or two horses or whatever. Usually there's a lead one, one that's well-trained. And if the other one is kind of skittish, he calms down because the one that's in charge, they're in yoke together and they're going. And so, uh, so um, Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. If you're trying to do it on your own, it's going to be hard. In fact, it's going to be impossible. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be without hope. But if you look to me, get in yoke with me, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Hallelujah. So I've, in, I've titled this message today, Hope the Anchor of the Soul. And when we think of the soul, we know we've been taught what the soul is. The soul is our mind our will, and our emotions. And don't we need help in that? <laughs> it's always our mind that's going to go crazy. And of course, then our emotions. Oh, my. Look at what's happened. Did you hear what so-and-so said? <laughs> Did you hear what happened to that person? <gasps> that virus got him. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. How our soul can be so, um, so distraught by what it hears about what happens. But their hope is an anchor of the soul. So now I want us to put up that picture of John the Baptist. And here's another guy. I tried to pick one that would depict him. You know, these are artist renditions. We don't have real pictures. <laughs> but now John the Baptist, in case we get real hard on ourselves, John the Baptist was what Jesus said was the greatest prophet there ever was. And he came along to prepare the way for Jesus. 
And, you know, back in the Old Testament times, the prophets were very distinctive. They looked, I mean, you can see what he looks like here. He uh, lived out in the desert, this, at least John the Baptist did. Many of the prophets were loners, had to be off by themselves. And then um, uh, it said that John the Baptist, well, his diet was locusts and wild honey. Well, I think after a while you're going to get a little tired of eating those bugs and just trying to find the honey. <laughs> and, and he dressed in this camel's hair. Well, that must not have even felt very good. I mean, it's not, you know, I like soft clothes. <laughs> well, he wasn't wearing anything soft, I can guarantee you. And, and he kept himself humble. And this is one of the ways he thought, like, I look humble, I'll be humble. He was humble. He kept Jesus, you know, he kept saying, he's mightier than I am. He says, I'm not even worthy to, to tie his shoe or his sandal or whatever. And, um, and then he says, he's going to come and he's going to clean out the threshing floor and gather the wheat, his wheat into the barn and he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So here he was expecting Jesus to come and immediately take control and charge of things and correct all the problems in the land, right? That's what, what John the Baptist was thinking. And then Jesus didn't come like that. Um, Jesus didn't come in like a storm and set up his kingdom. So then John was put into prison. Well, this surely was not in his expectation that he, I mean, he thought Jesus was going to come and deliver them all. Here he finds himself in prison. So he sent his, his disciples to Jesus. And he, he, now here John the Baptist had baptized Jesus. God had spoke out of heaven that this was his son and he's well pleased. The Holy Spirit came and lit on John the Baptist. And yet he sent messengers to Jesus saying, are you the one? Or are we to look for another one? See, he began to doubt even what he had been told by God because he got his eyes on the circumstances. Jesus was not living up to his expectations. And so it's like, hey, something's wrong here. Should we be looking for somebody else? Go ahead and put up the picture of Jesus. Well, if you look at this picture of Jesus, of course you can look at a lot of different pictures of Jesus. But this picture of Jesus, he was not looking anything like John the Baptist. He looked like, you know, somebody who was well-dressed, 
one thing we know that his robe was a very expensive robe. It was sewn in one piece. And when he was on the cross, the soldiers were casting lots to see who could get the robe. So here comes Jesus. You know, I mean, he wasn't in flashy robes like a king. So, I mean, he didn't look like a king, but he was not dressed like the prophets used to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so this was a little bit different than what they were expecting. And the reason I'm saying this is sometimes things happen that we're not expecting. Sometimes the way God does things is different than what we expected. And if you've got your eyes on those things, you are going to lose hope and you're going to like forget that or I don't want to have anything to do with that because that's not the picture I have of God. Well, here comes Jesus. And so now we're going to look at um, what Jesus answered to John in Matthew 11, 4 to 6. Well, actually, yeah. Jesus answered and said to them, Go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In other words, he's telling John, just because I'm not doing it the way you expected, don't be offended in me. How easy it is for us to get offended. And Jesus said, don't get offended. Don't get offended because of the way I do. Look at what I'm doing. I'm healing the sick. I'm raising the dead. I'm bringing hope to people where they had no hope. I'm bringing hope. So don't get offended. <laughs> so Jesus didn't come the way the religious leaders thought either. I mean, they expected a king to come and rescue them out of this, you know, the Romans were dominating them and and making them do things they didn't care for. And uh, they thought they were having this Messiah come and rescue them. And so they could not accept Jesus. He just was not doing things their way, the way they thought the scriptures said. So all they could do was focus on the fact that they were looking for a king for someone to rescue them. So, I just wanted to mention that John and the leaders 
were not necessarily wrong in what they were looking for. But their timing was wrong. If you're on a mountaintop and you're looking across to the other mountain, you don't see what's down in the valley. So they were looking at Jesus' second coming and was missing all the things that was happening in between. So that's one reason when you read the scriptures and you don't understand something, you should just ask God, show me, Lord. And then you wait patiently until he gives you understanding of it. It might be that there has to be some time before you can understand it. So they were looking at Jesus' second return in all of his glory. And we've been waiting for it for 2,000 years. But guess what? He's still coming. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> he said he was coming. When he left here, he promised that he was coming back for us. Right? So he was trying to instill hope into us. Another example is like when you look through a telescope and say you see a star or you see something that you're focusing in on. That's all you focus on is that star. You don't see anything between you and that object that you're looking at. And, you know, we can look at the scriptures like that. Sometimes when we're reading the scriptures and we're, you know, studying on a certain, certain subject, say faith even, and you're reading, and every scripture that you read, all the stuff on faith just pops out at you. But sometimes we don't see the rest of the scripture. Because all that we're looking at is that one thing. We're focused on that one thing. And sometimes that is fulfilling God's purpose and, and helping us to understand something. But we have to take the word of God in entirety. We have to go back and we have to study it. He says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Because why? There's so much there. Every time I look at something and I study something, and I've read the Bible several different times, but I'll read that and say, I don't even remember that being in there. You know how you can be reading and your mind will wander off on something? And, Oops, i got to get back to reading the Bible. Well, you don't know what you missed in that time. And I tell you, I can, I can read it over and over and over because... My mind keeps wandering, and I'll read it over, and, and I still like, what did it say? I, and I have to go back and read it again, and I find my want, mind wandering again. It's like, what's going on here? <laughs> but God's word is true, and all of it is real. So we can't just take one little piece and focus on it. You know, we like to pull out scriptures because they're saying certain things. 
But we got to remember to go back, put it in the context, read the whole thing. Maybe it's saying, you're not realizing it's even saying. And you're making it out to say something else. Well, we know where that gets us. <laughs> it gets a lot of division in the body of Christ, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, so, Jesus is our only hope. This word, the whole word, is Jesus. It says, Jesus is the word. He is the word. Everything in this Bible points to Jesus. He is the word. He is our hope. Biblical hope is a feeling of trust in him. We have to trust him and his word. It's a confident expectation of good. Something good's going to happen, right? To expect with good confidence or patiently enduring. Patiently enduring can be hope. You're just waiting. You know it. It's going to come. So we just patiently wait for it. That's hope. So let's put up Hebrews 11.1. 1. A lot of us know this verse. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not so faith is giving substance to those things that we're hoping for faith and hope go together both of them are not seen we don't see faith we don't see hope but both of them are given together if we use the two of them, we'll see, and we hold on, we're going to see the thing that we're hoping for come to pass. Our hope has to have something to be anchored into. So let's put up our next picture of the anchor. Here's our ankle. Now I want you to look at that anchor. It's got sharp points on it that can grab on. It's got a rope that's holding it. Now, if you're in a boat and you throw out the anchor, what's it supposed to do? Keep you from drifting, right? But that anchor has to be anchored into something. Now, even a boat, if you put down an anchor, the weight of the anchor will help. But unless it's really grabbing a hold of something, you can still continue to drift. You know? And you have to have a rock or something that you put that anchor into. Are you going to keep drifting? Maybe you won't be drifting as fast but you've got to have something solid and secure. So our hope has to have something that it's anchored into. And our anchor that 
we hook into, or what we hook into is love. Love is Jesus. He is our rock, and that's what we anchor into. The things that God said, God said he uh, does not lie, and, his, and he gives us the truth of his word. He gives us something. His love sent Jesus to this earth. And that is what we are anchoring, what we believe in. That's what gives us hope. So we're going to read what Jesus said about himself. The first one is Revelations 1.8. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we know Alpha and Omega is a Greek for the first letter in the alphabet and the last letter in the alphabet. So he says, I'm the beginning and the end. He's saying, I was always here. I, uh, who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. Definition for Almighty is having absolute, complete power, omnipotent, God Almighty. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is who I am. You can trust me. You can anchor into me. Revelations 21.6. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So we know that the fountain of the water of life is our salvation. It's life eternal with him. And he said he's going to freely give that to anyone who thirsts. Well, when I think of thirst, I picture, you know, I like to think in pictures, and I picture, you know, in the old movies, the guy out in the desert, he has no water and he's thirsty. And he's trying to find that water hole. And he's going out there and he's crawling, even when he can't walk anymore. He's crawling to find that water. To me, that's what I think of as thirst. So when he says that if we are thirsting, that I picture is someone who is going after God with everything that they've got. They're trying to find out everything they can because they're so thirsty for God. They want to know what does God look like? What am I supposed to do to be like him? And so they're in the Word, they're studying, they're saying, 
oh, God, I'm so thirsty. I just want to know you. And he says, I'm going to freely give you this water of this living water. And that's who Jesus is. He is our living water. He's, he's the water that we can drink of. He's told us to come and drink of him, right? So Revelations 22, 13. Again, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So he's repeated this over and over. He wants us to get this. I am everything that you have need of. A to Z. Everything you need. Whatever you have need of, you come to me, drink of me, and I'll take care of it for you. He's going to supply everything for us. What is he doing? He's giving us hope. He's giving us something to anchor on. Right? What did he do when he left us? He told the disciples, and that's for us as well, says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and get you. Well, that's what we have hope in, right? We know that he's preparing a place for us. I don't ever doubt that he's preparing a place for me and that he's coming back to get me. But sometimes these little day-to-day things, is he really going to supply all of my need? Is he going to help me get there on time when I'm running late? Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> coming this morning, God had every light just green for me. <laughs> because it's like, Lord, I don't think I'm going to get there on time, and I should be there on time. I'm speaking today. I should be there. <laughs> so, you know, he makes a way even, even when we mess up. You know, he'll make a way for us. All we have to do is turn to him, right? <laughs> he takes care of his own, and that's us, right? He takes care of us. So now I'm going to read some scriptures from Hebrews. The sixth chapter and the tenth, starting at the tenth verse. I'm trying to find it here. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So you know what? God doesn't forget what we do. He remembers us. He, he knows what's going on in our lives. He thinks about us. And he's, he's not an unjust God. He wouldn't have you do things for him and then not want to uh, repay you. Verse 11, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. There's an assurance of hope 
He wants us to have that full assurance of hope until the end. He says, don't give up. Don't stop believing halfway before you get there. He said, but I've waited so long. Well, he didn't tell you when it was going to be up. He just said, hold on until the end. (laughs) Verse 12. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He said, don't get lazy. (laughs) Keep holding on. Imitate those who have faith and patience. (laughs) Don't give up because you will inherit the promise. Right? Amen. Okay, and then verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. God wanted Abraham to be so secure in what he was saying that he took an oath. And he had no one greater than himself, So he had to swear by himself. So that's what he did. And then verse 14 saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, he inherited the promise, or he obtained the promise. Wow. It took a long time. How many of you remember... How long it took? (laughs) A long time for him to get his son, Isaac. That was what God was promising to him. He said, you're going to have a seed and and I'm going to multiply and bless you. Well, they couldn't even have one seed. How could they have multitudes of seeds? But he believed God and he held on. He patiently endured. His hope was in what God said, what God told him. And he didn't let those circumstances that he could have looked at very easily. He didn't look at the fact that, Sarah, you're getting quite a few wrinkles now. (laughs) Sarah, you've never had a child. So... And after time went by, he obtained that promise. Verse 16, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all the dispute. In other words, by taking the oath, by swearing by it, it's like, that's the end of it. No more dispute, no more argument. This is what's going to happen. This is real. So it's like that's what the person takes an oath for. So that, okay, we're not arguing it anymore. We're not arguing the case. This is what I saw. This is what I believe. So therefore, it's settled. 
So the next verse. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel and confirmed it by an oath. Immutability means unchangeable. It won't change. Next verse. That by two unchangeable, immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before them. God gave them something to hope for. He gave them his word. He said, it's not going to change. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It's not going to change. Okay, next verse. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. So this hope that we have helps our soul. It helps us when things don't go the way we think it is to be secure. Our mind doesn't have to be having all these thoughts of what if, what if, what if, what if. doesn't happen. No, we can rest assured. It gives us stability to our soul. We can hold on and say yes. And then it says, which enters the presence behind the veil. And read the next verse. Which, where the forerunner had entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus went there before us. When he died on the cross, and then he took his blood up to heaven and put it on the mercy seat, which was behind the veil. Then he's that forerunner for us. He's, he's there. He's forever. Melchizedek is a priest forever. So Jesus is a priest forever. He's not going to say something and then die off and not be there to take care of it for us because he's already died, been risen from the grave, and now here he is. He's there with his blood on the mercy seat. And he says, we can have this hope, our hope. We hook into the fact that he's there. He's there for us. Now we're going to read it in the Amplified because it kind of brings it out some. So we'll just let it speak to you as we read straight through it. For God is not unrighteous to forget or overlook your labor and the love which you have shown for his name's sake in ministering to the needs of the saints, his own consecrated people, as you still do. Next. But we do strongly and earnestly desire for each of you to show the same diligence and sincerity all the way through in realizing and enjoying the full assurance 
and development of your hope until the end, right until the very end, in order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards, but imitators, behaving as do those who through faith, by their leaning of the entire personality on God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. And by the practice of patient endurance and waiting are now inheriting the promises. For when God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, saying, Blessing, I certainly will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so it was that he, Abraham, having waited long and endured patiently, realized and obtained in the birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come, what God had promised him. Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves, and with them in all, the, all disputes the oath taken for confirmation is final. It ends strife. Accordingly, God also, in his desire to show, show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those who were to inherit the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan intervened, uh, mediated with an oath. This was, this was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to prove false or to deceive us, we who have fled to him for refuge might have mightily indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and to hold fast the hope appointed for us and set before us. Now we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It cannot slip, and it cannot break down under whoever steps out upon it. A hope that reaches further and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil. Where Jesus has entered in for us in advance, a forerunner having become a high priest forever after the order with the rank of Melchizedek. I praise God. His word is very clear to us what hope is. And I know this passage is kind of hard to understand sometimes. But then if you allow the Holy Spirit to really let it sink into you, even if you don't get it all now, 
it'll come to you. And if, as you read over it more and more, it'll come, the light will shine on it and it'll become alive to you. Now we're going to read Hebrews 7, 19 to 25. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, he's talking about those in the Old Testament, but he with an oath by him, that's God, who said to him, Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant, better than what they had. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he is always lives to make intercession for them. So that we see that he's gone before us into this place He's lived the same life that we have, but he lived it perfectly. And then because he knows what we are like, he makes intercession for us with God the Father. He hasn't forgot us. And even when we don't make it, and we make mistakes, and even when we fail and we think, oh my, how can I come to God? It's his righteousness which causes us to come before him. And he's there making intercessions for us. We're going to read it in the Amplified as well. So the 19th verse in Amplified. For the law never made anything perfect, but instead a better hope is introduced through which we now come close to God. And it was not without the taking of an oath that Christ was made priest. For those who formerly became priests received their office without its being confirmed by the taking of an oath by God. In other words, other men confirmed them to be the priest. But this one was designated and addressed and saluted with an oath. The Lord has sworn and will not regret it or change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In keeping with the oath's greater strength and force, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better, stronger agreement a more excellent 
and more advantageous covenant. Again, the former successive line of priests was made up of many because they were each prevented by death from continuing perpetually in office. But he holds his priesthood unchangeable, unchangeably, because he lives on forever. Jesus lives forever. Amen? He's always there. Therefore, he is able also to save us to the uttermost, completely, perfectly, finally, and for all time and eternity, forever. Those who come to God through him, whoever comes to God through Jesus, since he, Jesus, is always living to make a petition to God and to intercede with him and intervene for them. So we have someone that's there always. And unfortunately, uh, some people think, oh, you can't go to Jesus. Well, that's what Jesus is there for, to go to him. He's the one that's interceding for us. We don't need to have someone else intercede to the Father for us because as a Christian, Jesus is interceding for us. Once you've made Christ the Lord of your life, Jesus is there interceding for the Father. So because we're made righteous, by the blood of Jesus, we have the right to come right into the presence of God. And God will listen to Jesus. You know, we have an accuser of the brethren. Our enemy, Satan, he wants to accuse us, and he accuses us in our mind, our soul, you know, like, oh, look what you've done wrong. Look what you're doing. Uh, you can't go to God and ask him to do anything for you. Look at that. You know, you're no good. You're not living a perfect life. And then there's Jesus saying, God, don't listen to him. They're made righteous because of me. They can come to you. And God is just saying, come, come. Jesus is saying, come. He says, don't let anyone think or make you feel like you can't go to God the Father or God the Son because that's why he came and he died for us so we could. He made us perfect. God looks at us through the blood of Jesus. Amen? And if you think you can be perfect while we're still here on earth, you're going to be most miserable <laughs> because <laughs> I tried a long time to <laughs> live a perfect life <laughs> and I was most miserable. <laughs> but what a freedom to know that Jesus accepts us. He accepts us. 
So I wanted to read 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We've already established that Jesus is love. That's what our faith and our hope has to anchor into. They go together, all three of them. The greatest is love, but you've got to have all three. All three of these are so important. But we mustn't place anything above love because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's our rock. He's our rock, that love that he has for us. He would never tell us anything that he wasn't going to do. And we can rest assured, we can have hope in that. We can anchor our soul in that, that he's going to take care of us. Nothing is going to change his love for us. doesn't matter what you do, he's still going to love you. He wants you to try to live right because he's, he's told us how to live. And that's our goal is to live that way. But that doesn't change his love for us. I was glad to hear the song that Shelley sang us in our praise and worship. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you think anything else is going to hold you up during this time of upheaval, time of change, and this, this just the world getting ready for Jesus to come back. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then in the Amplified. So let us seize. That means grab onto, hold fast, and retain without wavering the hope we cherish and confess and our acknowledgement of it. For he who promised is reliable. He's sure, and he's faithful to his word. He will never forsake his word. So this is what we have our hope in. This is how our souls can be steady in the times when all of this stuff is going on, when all these things are happening round about us, and we're wondering what's going on. No. His, his word is secure. His hope is secure. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. 
and everything in between. This is what our hope is built on. This is where our security comes from. We never have to be without hope. And any time that we start feeling hopeless, now it's just the enemy that's trying to get to your soul and you just grab onto God's word. Amen.